This is three women and a bottle of wine. Three friends. Three former TV reporters. And one bottle of wine. Delving into whatever interests us. News, not news. What affects our lives? Because it's probably affecting yours too. Mm. I'm Kim Inslee. I'm Lynn Melling. And I'm Julie Barkey. And now on with the pod. Hey there, it's Lynn. And welcome to Three Women and a Bottle of Wine. And I'm Julie. And I'm Kim. And ladies, can you believe it? Uh, this week has been one full year of this COVID-19 pandemic crazy. in this country. Yeah. So mm-hmm. for approximately a year, we've been doing this over Zoom. And of course, our last one in person was at the Hewing Hotel in Minneapolis, which was so much fun. But over a year ago. Over a year ago. So our world has turned upside down a little bit. It sure has. And the ramifications of the pandemic, as we all know, are going to be felt for years to come. I don't even think we can fully grasp what some of the impacts might be. So we want to explore this idea just a little bit further, specifically as it relates to mental health. Yeah, our guest today is an expert on this subject. We're so delighted to have Dr. Craig Sachuk join us today. He's a clinical psychologist at Mayo Clinic with a focus on improving the treatment of anxiety and depression in primary care. Dr. Sachuk, thank you so much for joining us. Great. Well, thank you for having me. It's uh, great to be able to meet with uh, three women and a bottle of wine. And I'm a Canadian psychologist drinking coffee, so I guess I'm the designated driver tonight. Well, it has been a year. You see, we're recording this on March 9th, which is just a few days shy of a full year of when we went into lockdown. And I got to say, and maybe I'm imagining it, but in the last few days, I've been feeling kind of this anxiety So my husband, Ian, goes on the Iditarod every year, this time of year. He was on the Iditarod last year when everything blew up and we went into lockdown. And I'm when I was driving him to the airport, I was having kind of these weird, not flashbacks, but I'm just I just feel uneasy because it's like we're coming back around to the same things that we were doing this time last year. And am I crazy? Am I the only one who feels this way? I would love to know everyone, everyone's thoughts on this. I'm just in wonder. I just can't believe it's been a year. I left thinking it'd be a few weeks. But Julie works Mm -hmm. for the health department, so she probably already knew. (laughs) (laughs) No, and isn't it odd, too? In some ways, it seems like it's been a week. And in some ways, it seems like it's been 10 years. So Mm -hmm. it's really just... You know, I think the the movie Groundhog Day for that first several months in particular when we were on lockdown, just, you know, going after things day after day. And we really had to struggle, I think, to find our silver linings. But I found a few silver linings. I found quite a few. But, you know, Dr. Sachuk, let's talk a little bit about that. What are you seeing in primary care? Well, we're definitely seeing that people are human, uh, without a doubt. With being in primary care, that is, uh, in so many ways, the front entryway into the healthcare system. Uh, So we honestly see everything uh, and anything at a given time. But with the pandemic, uh, we really are seeing people being human. So folks that you know, um, maybe have never needed to seek mental health services uh, ever in their life, or maybe they've you know, have some stressors and they struggle with things, but seemingly managed to get by. Just the wear and tear, uh, the erosion of all the uncertainties, the new stressors that people have had to deal with. We've seen a lot more people seeking mental health services now. Is it um, across the board? I mean, are you seeing more men than women or women than men, age group, anything that you see that stands out? Or is it just across the board? 
Yeah, honestly, it is across the board. And I think that this is where, you know, to a greater or lesser extent, um, everybody is struggling. And uh, what started off as kind of the acute, you know, crisis of um, just dealing with a massive amount of uncertainty, uh, some losses, just the complete disruption in our daily routines. And as we went from an acute crisis to more of like a chronic care model almost that we've been in, and, and Julie's comment about Groundhog Day, it's exactly what it feels like. We've all tried to settle into a routine to some degree, but you know, this new normal is not normal by any stretch of the imagination. Absolutely. Do you think, uh, and are you seeing any specific, when we talk about mental health, it's such a broad, broad strokes. Are there any specific diagnoses that you're seeing out of this, whether it's anxiety or, or depression or anything that you can, that you're able, and I know we're still kind of into this, that it, we're new into figuring out what are the, you know, the, the whys and the who's and the, you know, all of the, putting the pieces of the puzzle together, but any, anything you've been able to zoom in on and really pinpoint? Yeah, well, I think, you know, one of the biggest things that we see is, is anxiety. And you just think of, again, anxiety uh, feeds off uncertainty. Uncertainty is almost like gasoline on the fire of anxiety. So you think of just the amount of worry, um, all the stressors and changes that people have had to endure or trying to problem solve and figure out, you know, how am I going to do my work from home, have my three kids who are at different developmental age levels getting plugged in with you know different levels of, of their education. Um, how am I going to you know pay the bills you know from you know this month to the next month? I mean, there's been so much uncertainty. So you see a lot more initially, and we still see this, you know, a lot more anxiety worry we see a lot more insomnia as well too sometimes it's actually being driven you know by um worry and, and anxiety other times you see it being driven by just disruptions and kind of our normal kind of daily rhythms and biorhythms as well too but if you do think about it um a little bit like an erosion effect you know anxiety kind of wears folks down you know to the point where they start to feel more depressed as well too so when we think of some of the losses again that people have endured um, the ongoing uncertainties, you know, that people are, are facing, you start to see some depression. And maybe in a little bit, we'll talk about this concept of pandemics happening within pandemics, because we're not just dealing with a uh, physical health crisis, we're also dealing with um, some other pandemics within that as well. I'm really curious, because clearly, this is a global issue. How does America rate or rank compared to some of these other countries in terms of how we've been uh, how it's manifested itself with mental health and other conditions. Yeah, the mental health piece, I think, has been fairly comparable, you know, across different countries. I think um, objectively, one of the things that the U.S. has struggled with was having consistency in our public health measures. So when you see um, so uh, much polarization, shall we say? Um, I, I'm Canadian, so you know I uh, have a different lens <laughs> on things, and I also have all my families up in Canada. And sometimes my Canadian, you know, friends and family you know, look down at the U.S. and go, "What the heck are you guys doing?" Um, but you know, too, we, yeah. we've also, you know, in terms of going through this, boy, we, it's been you know, very politically charged, uh, which is um, adds to that overall level mm -hmm. of pressure and, and stress. There's been a lot of social and racial unrest and other things as well, too, going through the election. Um, so there's been a lot of 
additional stressors on top of um, mm-hmm. just dealing with the pandemic, which is bad enough. Um, so it's it's been a, a unique experience, to say the least, down here. Yeah, and you bring up a really good point. And we are not the only country, of course, that's having political mm-hmm. issues of one kind or another. But the election certainly did throw a ton of anxiety on top of it yeah. and stressors within family. And Lynn asked a really good question, I think, which was the core of it is, am I normal? I mean, <laughs> as, as we feel, I, I think we're gaining new muscles, right? We're gaining new muscles for flexibility and understanding what we can control and what we can't control. But at what point do you start to seek help if you think that there's a problem or if you see a loved one who's struggling? Yeah, yeah. I think, you know, what's really important to pay attention to is that you know, our natural trajectory is towards resilience. You know, the vast, vast, vast majority of the population will get through this. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean we bounce back to exactly how we were, you know, pre-pandemic because there's lots to be learned, you know, dealing with adversity. Um, but the majority of people actually won't get stuck and go on to develop significant mental health problems. Um, however, you know, some people actually, they do get stuck, uh, they get really sensitized, and in some instances, maybe even traumatized by some of the losses that they've had to endure as well, too. So once we, you can kind of think about it in a few different ways. Sometimes you think about it just like raw symptomatically. Um, there's a difference between feeling on edge and nervous versus just having panic attacks, you know, all the time or having some mild, you know, sleep disruption, maybe not as restorative sleep versus, you know, full on insomnia or where you really, really have to push yourself to get out of bed and take care of some of even the basic things or around, you know, around the home or around responsibilities. So I think sometimes when you think of the burden uh, and the intensity maybe of some of the symptoms that we're going through, there are manifestations of, of our stress and distress pay attention to that. And when you can't keep up with normal kind of day-to-day responsibilities, fully acknowledging the playing field is not level these days. So it's not being played by the normal rules, but being able to even take care of the basics of whether it be, um, you know, chores around the home, um, parenting um, for those that are, have been able to continue to work and albeit work a little bit differently when we're really, really struggling with keeping up with those, um, then those are usually good signs uh, to come in and, and get some help. Well, I was just wondering, I mean, is there a point at which you, because I think we're all thinking we're just going to snap out of it, right? Like we're going to hit some milestone, whether it's a year or two years or five years, but I'd love to know your thoughts on how, like this is, we're in this for the long haul here. This is not something that's just going to change overnight when everybody gets vaccinated and we're, you know, everybody talks about the new normal, but I'd love to know your thoughts on what are we in for long-term and the long-term impacts of this on us as a society. Right, right. So at some point in time, I've and I've got very good confidence about this, at some point in time, the virus will get under control. And we've got some, you know, some great advancements in the therapeutics, uh, the vaccinations, the rollout, that's gonna ramp up. We're gonna get to a better place with this without a doubt. But at some point in time, the the physical threat of the pandemic ends but the mental health um, and the social impact of all this has a very long tail that goes along with this. It will be going on for a long time Um, because remember that um, the stressors that people have been enduring and the losses, and in some people it's been the loss of life, not just the loss of job, um, but 
you know, we've lost over a half million people in the country, which is just absolutely staggering, you know, to this, uh, to this pandemic, um, people are going to be enduring this for a long time. You know, folks that also um, have um, actually had to go into the ICU, um, you know, there's an ICU syndrome piece mm-hmm. that we have to pay attention to. You're talking about the long haul. There's this concept of long haulers, people who have quote unquote, you know, are no longer contagious, you know, with the virus, um, but seemingly has created this almost syndrome of chronic fatigue, chronic pain and other things as well too. And then we have to take a look at, you know, the financial impact on families, um, on the job climate for folks. So we think of our college age kids that are graduating at this time. It's not, yeah, it's not a normal, you know, playing field for them as well, too. So I think that there's these kind of new onset stressors, how things are going to be changing going forward. That is going to actually carry with us for a very long time. I wanted to ask you about resiliency, and there's always a lot of discussion about this, you know, and I, I bring in my mom's personal experience. My mom's from Berlin, grew up, mm-hmm. you know, born at the tail end of World War II, lived in post-World War II Berlin, which was, you know, it was far from a, a luxurious lifestyle for a very long time. And I was brought up learning a lot about resiliency, but I never actually knew how to build it. Is that something that you can provide tips to our listeners about like, are there some things we can do, things we can practice to try to mitigate some of these long-term effects? Yeah, so I think, you know, some of the key messages before we talk about, you know, maybe different pathways uh, to resilience is, again, remembering that uh, resilience is the outcome. You know, this is the, the longer-term trajectory, you know, for all of us. And also that resilience um, isn't this unique trade among you know certain people that they're all oh, they're just incredibly resilient actually everybody has capacity for resilience um, but likewise everybody's capacity towards being resilient varies a lot um, across time which is also influenced by the environment that they're in is the environment actually built to cultivate and promote resilience so i think it's really important that we get back to resilience is a fundamental human trait that that we all have now when we actually look at uh, resilience, there's different ways of cultivating that. There's been some uh, great work by a psychologist by the name of uh, Don Meichenbaum, who looked at this um, uh, this concept of roadmap to resilience. There's just lots of different ways that you can build up resilience fitness. Um, and sometimes that could be like looking at it on the physical side of things. So in the pandemic, we've encouraged so many people get on a normal sleep schedule, you know, mm-hmm. kind of avoid um, that that skewing of your sleep cycle, try to avoid hibernation or kind of napping, you know, during the day, um, eating healthy, exercise, all those things that we know, like at any point in time are good. Um, then there's like social fitness, you know, surrounding yourself with healthy people. That's also been something we've really had to adapt to uh, during the pandemic because, you know, what's been one of the number one things that we've told people not to do, don't get together with people, (laughs) create social distance. So by treating the public health issue, we've also set ourselves up for isolation. But when we do things like this, like having a podcast, having a Zoom get together, um, trying to get around healthy people in more of a virtual format um, can actually be a Really helpful 
And then there's other forms of, of fitness to work on and build up like a person's um, spiritual life and, and fitness there, being able to do things that um, are personally meaningful and matter to you. So this could be simple things as hobbies or really investing yourself in parenting. So there's lots of, of different pathways to go with this. And, and what that pathway is for an individual, um, it really varies. Right. I know a bunch of people who love this not going out, who are embracing well, this. I was just well, going to say the same my thing. my question, yeah. And we were all saying the exact same thing. Julie, yeah. I love your question about resiliency because I think it's an important one. And then you also mentioned silver lining. So I did read something today and I, I said, I'll take this in an oddball direction, but we were all thinking at the same time. Um, somebody was writing that, you know what? I have friends who are, are you know, they don't like to be out in social situations. They're yep. introverts and, and they've actually thrived during this. And then you think about the kids who were bullied at school who didn't have to endure that for a year. Mm -hmm. yep. um, so there are those silver linings. And for those people who found that this actually was a good environment for them, what happens to them as the, as the world <laughs> switches on again? Well, as the world switches on, remember, it's not going to switch right back to where it was beforehand. So I think, you know, a couple of the silver linings that I think of, um, one is exactly related to what you're talking about. There's been developments in how we do things differently, you know, hybrid schooling, um, working from home, certain, you know, businesses or companies that never had to do that before. There's actually now new tech and platforms have been built um, that actually uh, builds out more diversity in terms of what we can do and how we can do things. So you can almost think about it um, tailoring, you know, uh, the to the population. Some people actually have really thrived, as you said, in, in this environment, learning via, you know, video and, and, and by tech. And in all fairness, the reverse has been true for other people. They've just tanked, you know, folks mm -hmm. that have been straight A students have really struggled with this. But I think what it's taught us is that there's more than one way to go about doing things. And yeah. So there's some definitely some benefits there. One of the other silver linings that I think has been extremely important um, that we've seen, and this, um, unfortunately, it's usually in the context of tragedy that this comes out, um, but is altruism. You see a lot of people doing very, very good things and kind of stepping outside of themselves and helping, say, their neighbors or their community or um, uh, in, investing themselves in something that's not about them, but it's for the good of other people, reaching out to people that are maybe at risk of, of loneliness and isolation. Um, so, and we've seen a, a number of other things like even like free health classes, say being offered online. Actually, that's an altruistic, you know, type of thing. So I think that, um, you know, that's also part of our human nature is, is to do good things. And when faced facing really bad things for a really long time, um, we really have to pay attention to the good. And, and we've seen a lot of that. So, and it's important because our brain loves, it's kind of like biologically wired to pay attention to threat. And there's been more than enough threat popping <laughs> for so yeah. long that yeah. we're so tuned into all that threat that we actually have to make sure that we're deliberately shifting our brain and our attention towards the things that are good. Um, but those altruistic things that we've all, you know, can attest to that, that we've seen over the course of pandemic, um, that is extremely important that we do so. Do you think, I mean, I just, what you were just saying just rings so true for me because I feel like I've, I've made a conscious decision in the last few months to 
try to channel my negative energy into positive energy and really put it into things that I enjoy. And I'm finding that I'm now craving, you know, finding purpose, finding a bigger meaning in my life, finding, you know, finding things that are fulfilling for me, but also giving to the greater good. Do do you think that that, you know, another silver lining potentially, but um, I mean, just, are we optimistic people that, that that's going to be a good, you know, a lasting impact of this last year? I, I, I really think so. And you also bring up a really important point, Lynn, is that it's not just a matter of getting busy. Um, it's getting busy with what, you know, what really matters to you? What's important to your values? Um, what is, how can we try to use this time to maybe cultivate um, some of those things that are really important to us. You know, some of us, uh, especially like when you're like at a, at a working age, I mean, it's like whether we like it or not, our work, um, you know, sucks up a disproportionate amount of time, effort, and energy during normal wakeful hours. Um, the pandemic has put that into context. What are other things that are important to us? Maybe it's created, you know, being isolated together in many ways or stay-at-home orders have really focused more time with the family. Sometimes that has been a real game changer for folks of being able to refocus in on what actually matters to you, what's important, what's consistent with your values. And those are, in my books, life's true antidepressants. Yeah. <laughs> Another antidepressant was getting our kids back in school. <laughs> I can just hear parents throughout uh, all of Minnesota going, hallelujah. Mm-hmm. It really makes you appreciate our children, but it really makes you appreciate the teachers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, without a doubt. Without a doubt. You know, talk about resiliency there and dealing right. with a lot of uncertainty as well. So, yeah, my hat's off to them. Incredibly I, I, underpaid profession. For sure. For sure. And I also wanted to um, throw some applause your way. I mean, you must be incredibly proud this whole year to see the entire medical profession and scientific community that came forward to create this miracle, to create this vaccine so quickly, to have this heroic uh, stance of these are the people on the front lines and yourself probably dealing with, with more than you've ever dealt with before because who hasn't needed um, you know a mental health check-in this year? How do yeah. you how do you feel about about where your profession is now? Um, and I'm, I'll just talk about the entire medical profession and and what this has done to that profession. Yeah, I, I tell you honestly, it's been a real gift and an honor um, to be in healthcare, uh, without a doubt. And and I know healthcare covers a huge continuum of folks that help to support that industry um, because it's in your DNA to help you know, others. Uh, and especially when you're faced with um, uncertain times and a, a lot of suffering and the potential or the threat you know, for even more suffering, um, it's a difficult space to be in, but it's the right space to be in. Um, I think you know some of the things that uh, that I think of from like a mental health standpoint or being a mental health provider um, in a weird sort of way. Pre-pandemic, it's not like mental health folks were struggling for business. Um, life was already pretty stressful, <laughs> yeah. uh, but as the pandemic hit, um, one of the things that that you know I really really appreciate um, that we've seen, and this has been going on for a little while, but really accelerated. Um, is the stigma has has come down? Mm, yeah, um, more and more people, you know, really are appreciating mental health is is just part of health, 
And just like how I was talking about, like right out of the gate is that everybody is human, everybody has struggled. So yes, of course we were, um, throughout the pandemic, we've worked with people that have existing mental health uh, conditions and we worked hard with our medical colleagues to go from in-person to video visits, you know, really within the span of, of two weeks to bridge care. That's something that's not gonna go away in our profession. So we see some advantages of being able to reach out more to people that maybe couldn't have access care beforehand. So we've knocked down some barriers, you know, that, that, that are there. Um, so we also, um, you know, look at, uh, you know, just being able to develop new interventions for folks as well too. So doing uh, group therapies, for example, has been another thing, developing low intensity mental health apps. A lot of those things have been developed as well too, so that are free. So being able to reach, uh, develop um, other types of interventions for folks that have no interest in seeing somebody like me face to face, but actually would do really well with something like a mental health app or an online uh, intervention. Um, those things have also been good things that have developed over time. All right, I think it's time to take a real quick break, but we will be back in just a moment, everybody, with your final flight. Three Women and a Bottle of Wine is supported by 515 Productions. 515 Productions is a video production business with base camps in Minneapolis and Des Moines, Iowa. Ian and his crew understand the art of creative storytelling, and they know how to make video look fantastic. Learn more at 515productions.com. Our logo was created by Aaliyah DeSalt, a creativity guru offering art workshops to everyone from business executives to book clubs because we all have untapped creative potential just waiting to be unleashed. You can find her contact information on our website. You can stay up to date on our podcast by checking out our website, threewomenandabottleofwine.com. You can also connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, where you'll find behind-the-scenes photos and, of course, much, much more. Be sure you don't miss an episode. Subscribe to our show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back, everybody. It's time for the final flight. Now, this is a round of three quick questions where we get to know our guest just a little bit better. Dr. Sachuk, what is your favorite book, and can you tell us why? Well, does the electronic health record count? <laughs> no, no, it does not. <laughs> the, the reason, the reason why I bring that up, uh, sadly, is I read all the time. You know, in my line of work. Um, so, actually, uh, reading is one of the last things I want to do when I'm off the grid. Um, however, if I if I had to go with something, um, you know, my uh, favorite book of all time, which is actually a super long poem is uh, John Milton's uh, Paradise Lost. Um, oh, I had a phenomenal uh, English professor at the University of British Columbia, uh, where I did my undergraduate, and just an amazing, amazing storyteller. And I, I fell in love with John Milton's work. Um, mm -hmm. So great, great story about, you know, all of our frailties, you know, greed and, and power and temptation, but then also like redemption and forgiveness as well too. Mm -hmm. Just a phenomenal um, work of literature. Mm -hmm. um, my daughter in our family is an absolutely voracious uh, reader. So she keeps uh, giving me books to read. So the one on my um, 
that's actually right beside my bed is uh, Colin Jost's A Very Punchable Face. So that's <laughs> Love kind Colin of my Jost. range. You got John Milton, Paradise Lost, and, and Colin Jost's A Very Punchable Face. <laughs> yes. Which... And health records. Hindsight, we probably should have asked you your crappy movie like Harold and Kumar or something. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of the things that people have been missing is the ability to, to get out and do stuff that they love. And a great balm for anybody's mental health is a vacation. So do you have, Dr. Sachuk, a favorite vacation destination? Yes, the Canadian Rockies, hand down. Mm. Uh, Banff, Jasper, oh, Lake Louise. Yeah, um, I'm from Vancouver, British Columbia. And growing up, that's what we did actually all the time. That was normal, you know, for us. And and not, um, I don't think at the time I really took it for granted, but yeah. when I moved away, I realized, oh, that's actually not normal. <laughs> so just yeah. the Canadian Rockies, it, it, it almost honestly, it looks fake. It, it is so pretty. Like living um, in a postcard. So unbelievable. Yeah. Exactly. It looks fake, but that is just my favorite place on the planet. It's beautiful. It's one of my favorite spots too. Okay. Most important piece of advice you either have received or given to someone. I know you, get, you probably get sick of people asking you this question, <laughs> but uh, we got to know. So I give advice, but then I get to bill for it. So like, oh, <laughs> that's right. good is that? We're going to get some free stuff here, guys. <laughs> yeah, you know, something very simple, and it's just like part of my culture, but I think it actually works, you know, very well, you know, down here in, uh, in, in Minnesota, you guys get this, but part of the Canadian culture is, is just be nice. Yes. You yeah. know, be, be polite, uh, be nice. And, and it's very simple, um, but it actually goes a long way. And, and I think especially, um, you know, we put the pandemic aside, uh, everybody is always dealing with something and you don't know mm -hmm. what, what folks are, are dealing with at a given time. So be nice, you know, kind of mind your manners. When we are dealing with incredibly stressful things like pandemics, be nice mind your manners and if you can find it throw in some humor you know as yeah. well too but um just be kind to others um it it, it really uh, is a good part of our humanity to be able to do that and it's also contagious in a very good way and it's Absolutely. a choice people it is a choice exactly right. naturally nice people but we all have a choice we can do it or not so mm -hmm. exactly i love that well, Dr. Sachuk, you've been so nice to join us <laughs> for this Canadian. interview. Yeah, exactly. You know, if you would have said, hey, this is going to be a six-hour podcast, I would have said, okay, and I would have apologized for it being so long. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And also, I have to give a big shout out, a big thanks to Rick Teese, who is um, Mayo's PR extraordinaire. He has been behind the scenes helping us to coordinate this interview, so I just want to give him a big thank you. Um, we greatly appreciate his help. So, but yeah, thank you for being here. This has been a wonderful discussion. Um, and I'm sure we'll probably, you know, maybe a year from now, we can have you back and <laughs> see what we've learned over the past 12 let's months. Let's hope it, yeah, let's hope it's not another Groundhog Day. <laughs> yeah. Three years ago. a year, how about like three months? Let's <laughs> keep our all in a good check-in. Dr. Sawchuk, thank you. Thank you. Cheers, everybody. Right. Thank you. Cheers.